0: If you have a copy of God's Word with you this morning, I do invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of Mark chapter 16. We will be reading verses 1 through 8 this morning. You can also find the text for um, the sermon on the insert inside of your bulletin, along with a brief outline of today's passage. Last Sunday, we began the Passion Week by looking at Mark 11 and the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. On Good Friday, we considered Mark 15 and the death of Jesus Christ. It is hard to pause there and it was quite difficult to end that service and have to wait till this morning to jump into Mark 16. So I really hope um, any of you who are here with us on um, Friday are here now, So that you get the rest of the story or you went home and and finished it out. It, It really is a bit of a cliffhanger. But it is a story well worth telling. A dark moment comes in Mark 15. But all that is is simply a backdrop to the beauty of chapter 16. Resurrection morning just three days later. Three days, that was the length of time in Jewish culture it would take to to verify that someone had passed. Um, Three days of time was the length of of testing, if you will, before declaring someone dead. Further, someone could only be declared dead by witnesses. Um, In Jewish culture, anything had to be declared by at least two witnesses. And so this morning, as we read into our text, we have three women coming to the tomb um, to verify, to stand as witnesses, to testify to what took place. Now, what they thought they were coming to and what ends up happening is completely different. In some ways, it's something that no one could have expected. In other ways, everyone should have expected exactly what would happen for Jesus himself told them, this is what will take place. With that in mind, let us turn to our text this morning and hear from God himself just what happened on that first Easter morning. I'll be reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. When the Sabbath was passed, There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The grass may wither and the flower may fall, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. And he has promised us that it will accomplish everything he has set out for it. Will you go with me now once again to the Lord in prayer and ask his blessing on this time? Dear Heavenly Father, you tell us in your word that if you do not give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive this word, we will not. And so we ask through your spirit this morning, may we not only hear your word, but be transformed by it. May Resurrection Day stand not just for the resurrection of Christ, but the resurrection of our own hearts. May we truly be transformed as we recognize the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that was made on behalf of sinners such as us. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful, beautiful passage of Scripture. We ask that you go before us now that we may receive its truths and apply it to our lives and the lives of others. In all of this, May you be glorified. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Jewish law required that there be no working on the Sabbath day. The women, uh, Mary and Mary, as Mark tells us, were preparing the body for burial. But they had to cease at sundown on Friday. They had to go home to observe the Sabbath. But it is now Sunday, morning of the new day. And as we pick up our text again, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, known as James the Lesser, and Salome brought spices in order to finish up the task they started a few days earlier. And all of this was done to honor Jesus in his death. But what they got was completely unexpected. It shouldn't have been. Jesus clearly taught of the resurrection several times in his ministry. The Old Testament, it proclaimed what would happen on multiple occasions. And yet no one thought to consider that it might actually be true. What we see from these women is astonishment. And this astonishment drove them to the first proclamation of the gospel post-resurrection. What an honor God bestowed upon them. And we should see this as a pattern for the world today. In our text, we have the worldly understanding of death, the gospel reality of the resurrection, and the biblical response to this good news. I want us to consider each of these this morning as we relive the greatest day in history. First, I want us to see that the world views death as final. We find that in our first three verses. Secondly, let us see how we're made alive in Christ. We find that in verses 4 through 6. And then lastly, let us see how the gospel can and does and must drive us to evangelism. Who we are in Christ can and does and must drive us to sharing that good news with others. And we find that in our last two verses. A worldly understanding, a gospel reality, and a biblical response. Let's consider each of these going all the way back to verse 1. The world views death as final. Both Mary's and Salome, who most likely is the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, are on their way to the tomb. It can get quite confusing, and I recognize that. Um, the repetition of names in Scripture does make it difficult to follow. But what you have here is one Person who Jesus has ministered to. He cast out demons for Mary Magdalene, um, for the other Mary, and for Salome, they're mothers of apostles. And so each of them have a very close connection to Jesus, to his ministry. All three of them have served him and served the disciples in some way over the course of the three years And I want to be very careful with how we see this passage. These women loved Christ and were committed to his ministry. And make no mistake, it angers me greatly when people say the Bible has a low view of women. No, no, it does not. Where are the disciples? Where are the men who ministered alongside Jesus for three years and heard his teaching and heard his stories and witnessed the miracles right there? They're at home. These women loved him and loved his ministry so much and they are given a special honor and we should celebrate that and we should recognize that and in no way should we accept that false view that the Bible is simply a man-centered religion. We shouldn't accept that for multiple reasons, but please don't hear this as a low view or, or making light of what is taking place. But that being said, that as a preface, they're going to the tomb for the sake of burial. They're going to the tomb to finish the burial process. That might include spices, that might include embalming, that would include preparing the body to finalize it before it rests in the ground. Their understanding of His ministry was in what He said. And this is to be expected. The disciples were under that same understanding. The work of the Holy Spirit had not yet awakened their hearts to fully grasp this good news. The Westminster Confession of Faith in chapter 10 on effectual calling states this. All those... "...whom God has predestined unto life, and those only He is pleased in His appointed time, effectually to call by His Word and Spirit out of that state of sin and death, in which they are by nature to His grace and salvation by Jesus Christ, enlightening their minds spiritually and savingly to understand the things of God." taking away their hearts of stone and giving unto them a heart of flesh, renewing their wills and by His almighty power determining them to that which is good and effectually drawing them to Jesus Christ. Yet so as they come most freely, being made willing by His grace. From a worldly perspective, death is final. Death is the permanent ending, ...of our lives. It cannot be reversed. Sure, Jesus brought back several from the dead... ...but there's no way he could do it unto himself. Right? We don't want to be harsh on these women... ...or on the disciples for that matter. The confession just stated... ...it's in God's timing and through his spirit... ...that man is called out of sin... ...and drawn to Christ... We should not see what they were seeking to do as disrespect or a lack of faith. It was simply the best understanding with what they had been given at that time. It was early on that morning that they go to the tomb to finish their task. And their greatest concern at this point is how are we going to get this stone out of the way? Notice again, um, as we think about this passage, it doesn't say... Can we move it? It doesn't say, is it possible? And especially in Mark's account, how are we going to get past the guards? No, it's how will this be, not be done? Not can it be done, but how will this be done? They, they go in faith. They, they go trusting God to provide. This stone, it acted as a barrier. A barrier between the outside world and the place of death. In some ways, and in in the women's minds, it, it marked the finality of this circumstance. And I know many of us fully understand death can be a very traumatic event for the loved ones that have to endure it. The process is foreign enough that it can be overwhelming when it occurs. I have overseen many funerals, and there are There really is one thing that that makes the difference in the attitude and demeanor of the people present. And that's hope. Funerals for believers and funerals for unbelievers are vastly different experiences. There is sadness at both, and rightly so. But to know that for those who are in Christ, we will see them again, makes that day bearable. If you've ever attended a funeral for an unbeliever, the finality of everything can be overwhelming. The world is left asking why. For life, this life is its ultimate goal. This is as good as it gets. And I'm sorry, but one of the main reasons I'm I'm a Christian is I live and believe that, no, this is as bad as it gets. I really do hope for the day as you go to the book of Revelation, as you read through what Jesus taught and you listen through the apostles teaching in the New Testament and you go back to the minor prophets as they speak of the day of the Lord. I really do hold to a worldview that says, dear Christian, this is as bad as it gets. I would be much to be pitied if I thought this was the best there was. And so we can understand the level of sadness as people went to the tomb expecting to find a dead Jesus. Thinking, is this really as good as it gets? But we're not left without hope. We as Christians have hope. We as Christians live in light of an empty tomb. And we know this because of what happened when the ladies arrived. Look with me at our second section to see just what took place. Remember, their biggest fear, their biggest concern is, how are we going to get this stone out of the way? And much to their surprise, Mark tells us this. Looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. And that I love this tagline. It was very large. Mark makes that point. He intentionally includes that. Because what that tells us is there's no way that these women could have done it. There's no way that one person could have done it. This was a large stone. This was an incredible feat. likely took many soldiers to put into place. The other gospel writers, they do tell us that the Roman soldiers were guarding the tomb. They were told, do not leave your post. Do not fail on your guard. We want no one to mistake that Jesus rose from the dead, so you stay here for the sake of your life. And what happens? Mark doesn't record it for us, but if we look at, in Matthew and Luke and John, they're on their faces, cowering as if dead men, prostrate, before an open door God didn't only provide the moving of the stone he also incapacitated the soldiers who would have forbid entry to anyone God provides exactly what is needed to reveal his plan in his timing We know that because there doesn't seem to be any resistance The women arrive and they walk into the tomb and we're told that entering it, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. Other Gospels tell us that he had the appearance of lightning, common of angelic hosts. And they were alarmed, rightly so. So much he had to tell them, Don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, affirming that it took place. He has risen he is not here. See, the place where they laid him. Now, put yourself in their shoes. They immediately would have been shocked by a number of things. Let's note a few of them. First, there is no smell of death or decay. There can't be. To smell rotting flesh, there has to be rotting flesh. Now, we are not a, a, a church that practices the burning of incense. Um, it is not common to our denomination to do so. And you may not be able to smell it, um, but there's a lot of lovely flowers around me right now. And I am almost overwhelmed by the smell. It is delightful to be where I'm standing right now and to smell that. But it is very apparent to me because they're here. You can see the flowers. You can note them around you. If you came up, you would smell them yourself. No flowers, no smell. No body, no smell. The ladies did not smell death. Which is important because what did they come to do? They came to prepare the body for burial. There would have been a bit of smell because they didn't get to do the process for three days. The work of, of uh, preparing for burial was to preserve the body as well as possible. Secondly, and tied to that, not only is there no smell, there's no Jesus. Jesus. He's not there. The door is open. The lights are on. The angel sitting there like a stroke of lightning itself. Clearly, you can see well, there's the body, or where the body should be. There's the cloth. It is folded, not wrapped in the way of one who rose like a mummy, but one who was resurrected. Front row seat. Easy access to this information. And then, these are the things they didn't see, and then, but what did they see? They noticed this figure who was, had the appearance of a young man dressed in a white robe. Again, we know this to be an, an angel of the Lord. You do a study of angels in the Bible, you know every time an angel appears, it is not the cute, cuddly figure that we like to depict in cartoons. Angels were fierce creatures who stood in the presence of God and reflected that so much, typically people couldn't take it. They couldn't stand to be in an angel's presence, much less the Lord's. And that's why the angel says, Please don't be afraid. I have news to give you. But they would be awestruck by this angelic figure. he says to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. He gives testimony to the fact that Jesus is not dead. He has been risen as it was foretold. And they knew it since he wasn't there. His body was absent. Their whole worldview changed in an instant. In one moment. By observing what was around them. What wasn't around them. By hearing of this voice proclaiming that Jesus is alive. Right then and there. Everything changed. This my friends is the gospel. Jesus not only died for the sins of his people. But he rose again. You see... What good would it have been if he had been in the tomb? What hope would there be for us today if they had found him there? Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, 16 through 18. If the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. Then those who have also fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Your faith is futile if Christ is still in the grave. You are dead in your sins and you will remain dead in your sins. And there is no hope of resurrection unto life, only unto God's wrath if he has not been raised. But we don't have to go down that path any further, we don't have to push that point because it's not true. He is risen. He lives. And for you and me today, this offers life changing reality. And I do mean that, life changing. This should reorient your thoughts and your desires, this should cause you to align with God's will. As you submit to Him. As you trust in Him by faith. And you say, I love you, O Lord. You died for me. You saved a sinner such as myself brought me back from the dead just like you raised Christ. How can I please you? How can I obey you? How can I learn to hate sin more and love you all the more? It changes us. And one of the ways it does this is that it drives us to evangelism. This truth, this message, that empty tomb pushes us toward the proclamation of this good news to others. We find this in our final two verses. Look with me there. The angel doesn't even give them a a time to think, a time to, to contemplate what's going on. Immediately, He drives them to action. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. The angel commissions them to share the good news of the gospel. These women get to be the first proclaimers, the first to tell of this story, the first to say, He is risen. He is risen indeed. See how the good news drives us to evangelism? And we see this all over Scripture, even before Christ died and was raised again. We we have examples, multiple examples. You could look at the woman in the well in John 4. When Jesus reveals to her, she says, Give me that water that I might live. I know the Messiah is coming. I know that the one you speak of is coming. And he says, I am he. Where did she go? Right into the town. Right to the people she was avoiding. Right to the people she was afraid of. Right to the people that she spent all of her life dreading to tell the good news of the gospel. We could look at the leper who was healed in Mark 1. Jesus says to him, Go immediately to the priest. Have yourself declared clean. He wasn't truly declared clean. um, Societally um, understood. From a societal understanding. Until he went to the priest. And the priest said you are clean. But he couldn't help it. He couldn't wait. He went instead to the people. He went instead to the crowds. He started proclaiming the good news of the gospel. In Luke 7. The widow's son was raised from the dead. And because of this. Because Christ is one who can raise people from the dead, the good news of what He can do is spread all throughout Judea. We could spend the rest of the morning looking at case study after case study after case study, where God, even God in the, in the Old Testament, he, he performs, He acts, He saves. Go to Jonah. Go to a man who didn't want to proclaim this good news, who didn't want to preach this gospel, who was reluctant to share this message because he didn't want the people saved. It's not that he thought it wouldn't work. It's that he knew it would. And what happens? A group of people so ignorant, the Bible says they don't know their right hand from their left, fall on their faces before God and ask for his mercy over and over and over again. The gospel message, the good news, drives us to share it with others. We see that in our text as well. They went out, fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now, we do remember that the full truth of of what had happened hadn't sank in for them. They have not been indwelt with the Holy Spirit at this point. And so there is a level to which the fear is appropriate. There is a divine level of fear that is, that is appropriate in this moment. And so we are quick to understand why they ran. But they did go. They did leave. We know from the other gospels in that they went. They went to the disciples, some of which were already on their way here. Brothers and sisters, my hope and prayer for you today is that you are so overcome by this gospel message that you too are driven to action. The gospel is not just a truth to accept and believe. It should change the way you interact with your family. It should change the way you do business at work. It should affect how you act as a student at school. You don't do these things to earn God's favor, but because you have His favor, everything changes. But more than that, it changes how you relate to God. When we look at God, doesn't He look all the sweeter when we recognize how far he was willing to go, when we look at our Savior and recognize he was willing to go to death, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord. The world's greatest fear in humanity, the thing that we spend all of our life actively avoiding, death, Jesus Christ marched toward on a three-year journey, really from the beginning of time. We must bow before the Almighty God in fear and in worship, for we are undeserved of His mercy. I want you to leave with three points of application this morning for your life in light of the resurrection. First, cling to Christ, cling to the one who is willing. To go to the cross. To save you from your sin. If you don't understand the damning nature of your sin after the service we've had this morning, come talk to one of us, please. Please. Your soul is at risk. And I don't want you leaving without hearing this gospel message and how it is personally for you. Clinging to Jesus Christ. Trust in Him by faith. And by faith alone for the forgiveness of your sins. Secondly, live every aspect of your life in light of this gospel message. This world sees death as final. However, there is life in Christ. Every breath, every moment, every decision should be lived out in light of this life-changing news. And when we don't, because we won't, go back to point one. And then thirdly, share this news with everyone you meet. This is the cure for the dying world. If we as Christians look at the culture and say we don't like where it's going, well, we have the answer. We have the cure. We have the solution. Will the world hate us for it? Of course they will. They crucified the Savior over it. But then so be it. The flower of the gospel grows the sweetest in the blood of the martyrs, so be it. If we are driven to the cross ourselves for the sake of this message, then so be it. Share this good news with everyone you meet. They will find it no other place. May each and every day bring us the excitement that Easter Sunday brings. For every day is a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Thank you, O Lord. Thank you for your divine plan. Agreed upon before the foundations of the world were set in place. Drawing us to yourself. Promising, even at the moment of curse, the seed of the woman will defeat the seed of the serpent. He shall bruise your heel, but you shall crush his head. The death blow was delivered to Satan at the resurrection of Christ. And we live victorious in him, through him. Not because of who we are, not because of what we've done, not because of what we bring. But simply because we cling to Christ and trust in him and him alone. All we're waiting on is the the horn of victory. The sunrise is coming. A new day dawns. And as beautiful as that Easter morning, that first Easter morning was, oh, how sweet will that day come when Jesus returns in power on a white horse of victory, yielding the sword, his word from his mouth, slaying the dragon, casting it, and all those who have rejected God into the place of judgment forever and ever. And we who hope and trust in Him will sit at the table and feast and proclaim Jesus Christ is Lord. Father, I thank You for this day. I thank You for these brothers and sisters. I thank You for the good news of the Gospel. And I pray that Through our lives, we would be driven to it again and again. Because we need it, because this world needs it. Now we who have been given this good news, help us, O Lord, to share it to this dying world. We pray all of this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.